Well, hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode, episode 19 of Say Who Say Pod, your favorite podcast about University of Washington football. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. I cover the Huskies for The Athletic, and Danny, when we, we sat down to record our Monday... Wait, 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 wait. Uh-oh. Hold on. Uh-oh. You have to You have to explain who I am, because I want to hear how you'll do that. Well, hold on a second, actually, Danny, because... If you were to search Say Who Say Pod on your podcast platform of choice, uh huh, where it is available everywhere now, by the way, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Deezer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, say you search Say Who Say Pod. So you can follow it because we need you to subscribe and hopefully lead, leave a review because that helps people find out about it. That would be excellent. You would you would know, Danny, if you read the podcast description on any of those pages or on our, our main page at rss.com, that Danny O'Neill is a freelance journalist and longtime newspaper reporter and radio host based in New York and, <laughs> in parentheses this part, a Husky season ticket holder. Oh, uh, that's very, very generous of you. I, I think never... I think it's... I never asked you if like you were cool with that. I figured that. Was oh yeah, an I totally. Am. I wouldn't mind if you. I wouldn't mind if you put unemployed. Though I guess self-employed and unemployed are those are those synonyms. Um, it it depends on how hard you are on yourself, I suppose. <laughs> my therapist, my therapist says I should say self-employed. Well, there. I I think it's very fair to say you're <laughs> self-employed. Yeah, a shameless. I would describe myself as a shameless Husky fan who shirks his cloak of uh, journalistic objectivity when it comes to discussing the dogs. That might be. I hey, I can I can punch it up if you want. I mean, nah, that might no. be a little more effective. No, you can you, invite invite people to de- leave any description that they would like on the comments so they can rate and review the podcast and help other people find out about it. That would be a good way to review us. What what should Danny's bio say? Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. What should my bio say? I figure people don't need to know I work at the Athletic. Like if they're interested, you know, interested in listening, I would I would hope that that's something they would already know. But um, I think it it keeps the it keeps the folks who sign my paycheck happy. Not like <laughs> not like the literal people. I, I don't think they're listening to this. But yeah, figurative, well, we, figuratively speaking. Yeah, yeah. Well, we always, you always, it always can. Uh, it never hurts to suck up, Christian. That's what I found out. It does not. Um, so we 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 talked about all the aspects of the big win, and everyone mm-hmm. was. You I mean you flew home Sunday from Seattle, probably still sky high that that the Huskies were three and zero, and it got this big win over Michigan State, and everyone stormed the field and. Happy feelings all around. No, 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 no. Everyone did not storm the field. The student the students, section stormed. The students stormed the field. Which I totally, I, I, my initial reaction was like, oh, no, we don't need to do that. And you know what? I, I, I came off of my grumpy high horse later on. I was like, that's great for the students. But I wasn't storming the field. I didn't even, I didn't even walk down on the field because I felt, even though it would have been quicker for me to get out if I did that. It's like, nope, that's for special occasions. That's for Rose Bowls. That's for conference championships. Not enough of the students listen to this podcast because they would have known Washington was a three and a half point favorite. Well, when it's your first victory over a ranked opponent at home from a Power Five conference since two thousand one, maybe the rules get all 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 called off at that point. Did I get the description right? Where did you hear that? Oh, we we talked about it earlier, and I read it in a story <laughs> in the Athletic last week. Um, no, I I'm I'm kind of with I I. College students are college students. They're gonna, you know, they're trying to have fun. They want to have a good time, and 
you know, you, I think you get, you do, you do trail too far into like old fogey territory when you try to legislate field stormings. Look, we've gone through Jimmy Lake and Tyrone Willingham in the last 20 years. And if, if there's going to be a little bit of, uh, uh, of, of excessive celebration over what I think should be not, uh, not a, not a ho-hum victory, but, but like uh, exaggerating the effect. Fine. Go ahead, do it, knock yourself out. Plus, now Stanford's coming to town, and what, Washington's won like three of the last 13 meetings against the nerds, so you better get it while it lasts. I, I did witness a uh, one of the game officials got tripped up as the students were like running past him. He tripped and fell. Um, <laughs> I reached out to the conference to see if they got fined, because you're, you're not supposed to storm the field anymore in the Pac-12. It's supposed to be like a $25,000 fine the first time. Although oh, that's I, hilarious. I think they've been kind of uh, selective about it, but uh, maybe they'll pay it off with their new NFT initiative. Yeah, do you re- see that crap? Uh, I did. Yeah, it's a I, it's a strange time to be coming into the. Is this, is it a recent a recent thing or what they were? Yeah, it was like a week two weeks ago. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. It's it's really in into that space. Because that's what all the crypto dorks say is like talking about being in the crypto space or the NFT space. Like I'm not sure when that became like economic lexicon, but it has. But yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing shows they've got their finger on the pulse quite like jumping into NFTs now. Yeah, that's um, that's probably can't get on Directv, but on. we're we got we got that NFT game on lock. <laughs> DTV, no, <laughs> NFT. Deezer. I wonder if they're on Deezer. I probably not. I think Deezer's reserved for like the like the top like tenth of a percent of podcasts ever recorded, probably. Yeah, the ones that show tremendous promise. That's why um that's why we were given the opportunity. But um no one's gonna storm the field if they beat Stanford on Saturday. They're a two touchdown favorite, and I feel like anyone who watched them play Michigan State probably is not looking at at, at Stanford as like another huge challenge, but like you just said, they've won three of their last 13 against them. It's always a tough game. I mean, even last year, that was one of their few wins. Stanford was horrible against the run. Um, David Shaw's worst season, I think his worst season ever, right? They went four and eight. Uh, yet it was tight down to the wire. Last year was last year. Things have changed. But I, beyond just the simple, hey, they just had a huge win. They're back on the map, so to speak. People are talking about them. This is kind of an an obvious sort of letdown type of, of atmosphere. If you're going to go that way, I just think Stanford has the weapons in the right places and is good at, at the things that are going to challenge Washington. Like they have, I mean, Tanner McKee is a really good quarterback. William Inge Mm -hmm. talked on Monday about, I think he said, you know, this is a guy who there's maybe two or three other quarterbacks in, in the country that can make the kind of throws he can. And whether that's actually true or not, like, Maybe he's exaggerating a little bit because he's their opponent, but like the sentiment holds. He's really good, and he's got a big arm, and um, nobody would be surprised if he he had a, a nice NFL career. I think they got some big receivers. It certainly helps Washington that E.J. Smith is out due to injury, Emmett Smith's son, um, who was off to a really good start this year. So they're not going to have their best running back, but I, I'm still waiting for a, a team with a Tanner McKee-type quarterback to like really test this secondary through the air. Yeah, and look, they scored 28 points against USC, and if you watch that game, you you know that Stanford was moving the ball early on. A lot of turnovers. In, yeah, it, and in fact, like you can make a pretty strong case that that game is different if there's not an early turnover, and then they got 
there was there was a touchdown that was that was overruled. Like it was initially signaled a touchdown. One of Stanford's tight ends. Like don't they have three hundred tight ends? Four of which will play in the NFL. Yeah, drafted and in the NFL. They're all seven foot three. Yeah, he catches a touchdown in the back of the end zone. His toe is clearly like it. His toe is in, and then his heel may have come down and hit it. And the pinhead officials look at it and decide like, oh. He he came down out of bounds, so they overrule the touchdown, which is like I want USC to get clearly jobbed. And this was one where it wasn't even it was like they gave USC the benefit of the doubt. And that absolutely should not happen, giving their Judas like betrayal of of the conference. But it, th- that happened early on. That was that was in the first half. Stanford. We don't know a ton about Stanford. And the 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 one thing I'll say, though is that as strong as their running game is and as good as their quarterback is, they do typically have an institutional lack of speed. Like, that's that's Dave Wyman's, who is a Stanford graduate, his assessment of it. So so that should that should play into Washington's hands on offense. But, man, I've, wa- I've watched Stanford kick Washington's butt so many times up front that I, I, I kind of have a little bit of PTSD about it. Yeah, you look at the rest of Washington's schedule, and this isn't, one of the three or four games you would circle is saying, okay, that's that's going to be tough. They got to go to Wazoo. They got to go to Oregon. They got to go to UCLA. Um, they got to go to Cal. You, you know, I think just given the history between the teams, you'd probably say a trip to Berkeley is is more daunting than a, a Pac-12 home opener against a, a Stanford team that has been as bad defensively as they've been. But um, I, it, it does just if it, it does feel like kind of a kind of a tricky little matchup. It was interesting to hear the coaching staff talk about like trying to guard against a letdown this week. And yeah, I forget if it was Ryan Grubb or Kalen DeBoer, but sort of talking about like you do the work for that, you know, all the way back starting in fall camp, just like you didn't start preparing to beat Michigan state, you know, the Monday of the game it's, it goes back to the standard that they set and the, the discipline and the vision and all that, that they, they implement when they, they first get here. And I, I kind of talked, about it on Monday a little bit, but I, I do think the fact that they left a lot of points on the field against Michigan state and there were plays to be made defensively that could have directly taken points off the board that weren't made. Um, you know, Ryan Grubb said they came in on Sunday and already the, the players had kind of turned the page mentally and, and they were maybe more lamenting what they didn't do against Michigan state and what some of their failures were and, and some of the things they needed to clean up rather than, than sort of basking in the victory. And, you know, I, I don't know of any coach who's going to come in and say, Hey, our, our guys were way too excited on Sunday about the win. They were not properly focused. I don't know how this week's going to go. <laughs> they seem to be resting on yeah. their laurels. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they were kicking back. I, I was going to suggest that DeBoer come in and show him the coaches poll and goes that team that you were up on by 21 points at halftime, that team, they, they're still ranked ahead of you, like that sort of motivational motivational play. But apparently, they may not they they may not, they may not need that. Yeah, I mean, I I tend to believe them. I, it just seems like they've and that, that's what a, the win against Michigan State can kind of do for you. Is from day one they've talked about, oh, these guys are so bought in. They they accepted the the new staff and the new messaging and the new vision and they've asked them to do everything that or they, they've done everything they've been asked to do and and when you go out and and prove it on the field and it you know you don't just win but it looks like guys are having fun and it looks like guys are all um 
you know, accepting their roles and you have receivers who are excited for each other scoring touchdowns. And it's, there doesn't appear to be like a lot of distinct egos standing out just yet. They haven't really faced any quote unquote adversity, a word I, I never like to use because coaches use it way too much, but it's, it's true. There hasn't really been any this year yet. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how they respond when things actually get hard, which they're going to at some point. But I, I am inclined to believe that the, the bigger threat this week is simply Stanford's strengths and what they're good at, particularly Tanner McKee, and not any psychological impact from turning around off of a, a really big win playing against a team that everybody thinks you should beat. And by the way, Stanford's coming off of a bye. You know, that's that's always um, it's always going to be tough against Stanford, but you give David Shaw an extra week. They got to sit at home and, and watch Washington and um, rest a little bit. I think – Let's just say I'll, I'll, I'll give away a spoiler when we do our picks at the end of this episode. I I would be hesitant to put a lot of money on Washington covering 14 points this weekend. I do I, I do think that it's a game they should win, but um, that feels like a, a pretty lofty point spread against a team that they haven't done that to since 2016. And typically, like when you when you look at their point totals against against Stanford, I mean. There are times that their offense, they're not able to put up points on them. I mean, that's there are other times where they've hung big, gaudy numbers up there. But what was it, last year they scored 20 points against a Stanford team that was, was basically hemorrhaging. hemorrhaging? Like, their defense was just awful. So it's it can be a difficult matchup. And I've this goes back to different schemes and different coaches. But for years... Stanford was just like Washington. Washington didn't have any issue or didn't have any, any ability to stop their ground game. And Stanford is creative. And especially, especially when you, when you had Harbaugh there, but Shaw's carried it on too. the, the, basically the run gaps they create with the way they use their offensive line. It's a really creative run game. And, and there's been years where it's just, it's, it's wound Washington in knots and they've really had no answer for it. Are you, um, are you interested to, to see kind of how the running back rotation shakes out? I saw a lot of people clamoring for more Cam Davis after Saturday. I liked how Cam Davis ran. I am a big Richard Newton fan. Yeah. And I don't know what happened to him. I mean, obviously he got hurt last year. But it seemed like Jimmy, like he got in Jimmy Lake's doghouse for some reason or another. I think there was some talk about like the he might have been too confident like I, I you you know better than I do I've always thought since he got on the team that he was the most physically talented running back on their roster like that's that's just been my my eyeball interpretation of him and so it's I've been puzzled why he hasn't gotten more opportunities and now coming back from injury I don't know but I'm excited to see if he does get out there because I think he's a really good back it's been a long strange trip for Richard Newton he read, what happened? He red shirts. He's their number two behind Savon Ahmed as a redshirt freshman. He's great in the Wildcats, short yardage. He scores ten touchdowns. He's a guy that yeah. gets everybody juiced. Like they that was one thing under Chris Peterson. They lacked juice players offensively. They they lacked guys who when you know t- their teammates rallied around them. They lo- like the the guys who the rest of the team loved seeing get the ball and just kind of gave them a li- like and you know who else was that guy? Richard Sherman or Richard Sherman? Richard Newton's redshirt freshman year, his first year playing, 
was Puka Nakua, who was a true freshman mm-hmm. at the time. And I remember just thinking, like, there was something different when those two guys had the ball in their hands. He, the, Richard Newton looked like he was going to be that kind of player. 2020 was weird. He's, he rips off that long touchdown against Arizona and then doesn't play again. And like you said, it was pretty obviously so what in Jimmy Lake's doghouse. We never got an explanation. I yeah. Think, I think I think the most specific that Lake ever got about that was that he needed to see Richard Newton go about his business differently, whatever yes. whatever that might mean. <laughs> and I try I I try to cut coaches a great deal of slack because I don't want them to come out and say the kid's a butthead, like right. And I know that Jimmy Lake over the years, whether it was with Marcus Peters and whatever Marcus Peters, like the whatever nature of confrontation he had with Jimmy, like there are times where players are buttheads, but <laughs> it's kind of like I. He's a really good player, and he just vanished. It was extremely strange. But then he was he was very pleased with him uh, over yeah. the, over that off season. And yes, it, and had you know kind of told us maybe quietly at the time that you know hey you're going to see a, a rejuvenated Richard Newton, a different Richard Newton, and and in fact they were so pleased with him they just decided unilaterally I think before camp even started Richard Newton and Cam Davis are the guys. Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant are not going to play. It's Richard Newton and it's Cam Davis. And I like, frankly, I kind of understand that. I think mm-hmm. in terms of physical upside, like those would be the two guys out of those four. You'd say they should be getting the carries. Richard Newton had proven it to some degree on film. Cam Davis hadn't really had that opportunity yet, but if, for the past few years, he's been the guy people have really wanted to see, you know, get an opportunity to, to carry it 15 to 20 times and see if he can be a lead back. Those guys weren't, getting it done for reasons that they probably had little to do with. The scheme was broken. The offensive line wasn't functioning because the scheme was broken. Sean McGrew and, and Kamari Pleasant, um, they wound up proving that they were the two guys who needed to be on the field, needed to, to touch the ball a bunch. But Newton tears his ACL halfway through the year, and I think he was expected back for camp, or at least they talked like he was going to be expected back for camp. But when fall camp started, he still wasn't full go. You know, Obviously, that was a... It's a a big-time surgery to be coming back from. It took him a couple weeks to get back into it. They're taking all these transfers. Where's Richard Newton going to wind up? Um, And so, like, I think him getting 10 carries in the fourth quarter against Portland State was a big deal just to prove to himself and to everybody else, like, hey, by the way, he's he's still here. He still runs hard. He still seeks out contact. He still finishes runs. And um, didn't get any snaps against Michigan State. It sounds like there's, you know, the – the injury thing is is he's still kind of working back. It's still kind of trying to find ways to get him involved in practice and stuff. But Ryan Grubb did say on Monday this week that he thinks he's 100% now. And he said, I'll be surprised if you don't see more uh, of number six this week against Stanford. And I mean, watching watching their goal line struggles, that seems like a pretty simple solution to that, right? Like you've got a guy who seems tailor-made for that role. Yes, I, I loved the way he looked. And that year they went and played, um, and he had the 10 touchdowns. Like, I, I was like, I, I was really excited about him. And I lo- Sean McGrew was a really productive player. And you could see early on last year that the, the coaches had something had happened in the backfield rotation, right? Like, there was a game where McGrew doesn't play, and then the next game he's kind of the featured back. And there was clearly. Uh, 
they whether it was indecision on the part of the coaches or them realizing that like we're losing the team because McGrew's not getting opportunities, or it was just one more evidence that they didn't know at all what they were doing on offense. It felt like it was a wasted year for a lot of different guys. And and the injury with Newton didn't help. But even even before that, it was it was hard to make sense of of exactly what they were planning to do back there. Cam Davis looked really good. I'm excited to see how Richard Newton looks. And and if you could if they're able to to run the ball and take it because Stanford goes into this game knowing they have to stop panics, right? Like knowing that that's yep. that, that you're you're especially especially given the institutional lack of speed that that is that is prevalent at at Stanford, they're going to go into this game dealing with Washington's wideouts. It should be an opportunity for them for the for the ground game to open up more. A lot of Heisman buzz for Michael Penix Jr. this week. That's really good. Can I make? Can I make? I don't want to see any read option from him. Yeah, like, we we talked earlier this year, and I was kind of, hey, he's mobile and he can move. He can move. He doesn't need to run the read option ever. Yeah, in, in that fa- one can in, probably go in the scrap heap. I think it, it looked terrible. It looked absolutely awful, and it also it doesn't look like he's comfortable with the decision making that's there. You don't have to be fast to be a good read option quarterback. I don't think Penix is good at it. Like he didn't give the ball to the to the first handoff when they're there at the goal line going toward the east end zone. Like he and and he would have scored so he could then take it, go out wide and get tackled for a loss. Like we need to abolish that. Nuke it out of there. Do you remember the uh the last red zone option quarterback option play that was called by the University of Washington? Does it involve Jacob Eason? It does not. Maybe I'm missing one. The the one that it immediately came to mind for me was was uh Jake Browning against Auburn. Oh God, yeah, that was horrible. I was there. Oh God, that was awful. That was some. That, that was an ugly, that, ugly red that, zone day. <laughs> that was hideous. That was, yeah, yeah. That one. I might have vented on. Like, was that? So we got into this debate. Is that Bush Hamden? Because I ended up yelling at Bush, but I think that's because like I couldn't yell at Chris Peterson about that because I blamed Bush Hamden, but that probably my ire should have been focused on Peterson, huh? I think it was Bush's call and he took responsibility for it. He that was I give him credit, you know, he he was willing to to second guess himself in a way that a lot of coordinators wouldn't be. And I think he, I remember him saying after that like, "Yeah, we got too cute there." Do you think though that he's just doing that because he knows that nothing's was anything happening on that offense that Peterson didn't sign off on? Uh, that was always kind of my understanding that like he, you know, even if he'd moved on from Bush Hamden, I'd love to know if he was planning to, to make a change at the end of that year. Part of me kind of thinks that maybe factored into him wanting to step away, knowing that like, okay, this isn't, this isn't working. I might have to move away from my guy here. I might, you know, if I'm, if I'm really going to take this program where I think it can go, I'm going to have to go outside my, my network and maybe bring in someone who, who runs their own thing and it's not my offense. I don't know. I don't know if, if that was a calculation at all, but I do remember wondering, like, I think the second he resigned, you knew Jimmy Lake was going to fire Bush Hampton. I mean, there was no, yeah. there was yeah. no question gonna, about he was, that. He was going to launch him into the sun. Jimmy didn't like how much pre-snap motion they had and, like, how, like, he wanted it much more straightforward. And I just realized, like – I'm complaining about the offense before John Donovan, and I need to stop. <laughs> like, 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 
in the overall scheme of like abominations, like what happened before Jimmy Lake and John Donovan is such a trifling, just, I, I it's, it's, I, I, I feel like it's so insignificant in terms of the actual travesty that happened here that I should, I should slap myself and just, just go back. Like it, it appears to be much better. And not only that, but Bush Hamden, Chris Peterson, even if Jake Browning was running the read option, was significantly improved from uh, from from whatever we saw the past two years. And so far this season, the offense has been fantastic. We just don't need to run the the, the read option. Maybe related. Um, I think it's it's interesting. Everyone knew Michael Penix Jr. was going to win the quarterback quote-unquote competition i think it was a fair competition in terms of the way they divided the reps but i also think everybody knew he was going to come out on top um but i i've heard some you know some people talk about how you know how how much more of an advantage you have at, at when you when you're able to go you know get a, a big-time quarterback to, to to turn around a team that's trying to reinvent itself offensively and I think it kind of it goes back a little bit to one of the big issues with Jimmy Lake, which was that he didn't have that network established. You know, it's it's one thing for for Kalen DeBoer, you know, one thing to hire a head coach who you know maybe is is a big name, and so that's that's a guy who quarterbacks are going to want to play for. Um, but when you have someone who's actually like been around offense and coached offense and like literally has connections. At one point last year, there were two quarterbacks in the transfer portal who had played for Kalen DeBoer, and mm-hmm. um, you know the, the the fact that he has a history where he's actually able to call on a personal relationship with the guy, like Jimmy Lake never could have got Michael Penix Jr. to Washington. Pro- probably very few head coaches could have, right? Like a guy who's from Tampa who was originally going to go to Tennessee, ends up going to Indiana, has no West Coast connection whatsoever. Like, he's not looking at Washington if they're not running this offense, and, and probably, frankly, if if Kalen DeBoer is not their head coach. So um, it just, you know, you don't, you don't just need the guy with the offensive background because he's going to come in and install and run a great scheme. There's also, like, some, some network connections there that can get you off the ground, so... I I don't know how many people saw this coming from from Michael Penix, um, and I also feel like a little bit silly for not maybe like not hyping up enough how big of a deal it was that they got him. You know, like I think he he was coming off of. Uh, I mean, he's in, been banged up. Indiana and Indiana was so bad last year yeah. for a lot of reasons that probably didn't have anything to do with him. And yeah, he's he's been hurt four years in a row, and I feel like we all just focused on the injury history and well, like it, you know, it's, it's been, you know, been a while since 2020 and been a while since he played with DeBoer. Like, can they recapture it? And, and didn't focus enough on like, Oh yeah. Like this is a really experienced, talented quarterback with a great arm <laughs> who, who they just got. Like they didn't have one of those guys last year. You also have the complicating factor of, of Sam Heward, honestly, like there is, yeah. and, and whether that's, whether this is fair or not, but the unspoken expectation that looms in the back of idiots like me about, hey, it was a blue chip quarterback prospect at a time that we always hear about how kids come to college more ready to play at the college level than at any time before. 
that it was the sense that, okay, if he's not ready to play this year, is that a troubling sign? Like, is that so? It, it's it's a complicated question. The injury history is is a significant deal, and and we'll see. And he looks great so far, but that's that's something that's something to look at his ability to to stay healthy. The thing you point to about DeBoer, that's really encouraging beyond just the results we've seen so far, is sort of the loyalty or allegiance that he can engender, or yeah. appears to engender. That's a great He's point. He's taken. He's taken a lot of his coaches from stop to stop. Now, Peterson had that, right? Like, Peterson had a network of guys who had been with him and had stayed with him at Boise State. But, but DeBoer's hopped around a little bit more. So, so looking at the number of guys that, that have followed him and continued to be linked to him, both coaches and players, is, is very telling because – just because you've been with a guy for a while doesn't mean you're a great coach. But when you see guys continuing to follow that person, it, it can be telling that that those coaches see that guy and like working for that guy. It means he's not a jerk. Like that's that's one of the things it means that it means he's not an insufferable ass. And and it also means that guys look players want coaches who get the best out of them. They want coaches to win. Like it's it, I think that that goes above and beyond even like how that coach treats them. Like they want, they'll put up with a lot if they if they think that they're going to win. And and the fact that you had two of his former quarterbacks in the transfer portal, even though you ended up having Hayner ended up staying put, I, I think I think it speaks very well of him as well as the number of guys that kind of follow him. You know what I think is like the the best example of that. It's Courtney Morgan their director of player mm-hmm. personnel, liter- yep. literally running the recruiting operation at his alma mater in a year where they win their first Big Ten title in 17 years, beat Ohio State for the first time in forever, and make the playoff. And you get that guy to leave that job to come work at Washington. Like I... <laughs> you know who he is working for, though. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, there's... <laughs> That might that might cut both ways on this. That like was not a only so, that is the great. Toss. That was a soft toss for you. <laughs> he was talking about it's biblical. Yeah. It's like Solomon. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh is the exact opposite of that. Like Jim Harbaugh, <laughs> the success that he had as a coach, and by and large, when he's gotten the fact that he's stuck at Michigan as long as he has is kind of remarkable because I mean whether it was Stanford or then at San Francisco, that guy was a hell of a coach and, and had taken them to success they had not experienced in a long time. And in both instances, people were ready, like, be gone, man. We are sick of your weirdo act. <laughs> like, you freak. And it certainly appears that he's just as freaky now at Michigan. It's just that he's in a place that puts up with it a little bit more, but he better start beating Ohio State with a little more frequency. Otherwise, I'm not sure how long he will last. But that's a good point about Courtney Morgan. They're going to, one of a handful of guys, they're going to have to probably like pay a lot more money at the end of this year. And they're already paying Courtney Morgan well for a, for a director of player personnel. But um, I could see a lot of schools coming for him. Um, it's we, an interesting job. It's an NFL model job, right? Like player personnel is an NFL department, but it's it's become increasingly important in colleges because 
in part because of the transfers and in part because you have to you have to have somebody that's looking at the overall development of roster as opposed to just what you would traditionally see is the the position coaches who kind of are advocating for their guys but don't have the same holistic view it's such an important job too like it's i kind of it's kind of funny to me these recruiting operations have become so advanced and have so many more people and you like you have to do that you have to do that to be competitive yet you don't let any of them go out on the road and recruit you just pile it all onto the you know the 10 assistants um and you don't the 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 pay hasn't caught up either for recruiting staffers now again there are there are director player personnel making a lot of money good money you know nobody should should be um, upset about the the paychecks that some of those guys are taking home, but there's also a lot of like backroom staffers who spend a, put in a ton of hours cutting tape and building relationships and um, you know showing recruits around campus and you know you see recruits like tag these guys in their tweets about the visits they had and they're not assistant coaches and the most of the fan base you know, unless they're really plugged into recruiting don't even know who they are probably have never heard of them um, but they're seen as like essential to the operation so yeah it is it's definitely become more of i mean washington even has they have a director of player personnel they have a director of scouting so that's their and caitlin DeBoer has built out that department more than i think any coach had previously and chris peterson kind of took it to a new level when he was there and now they they're spending more money and they've got i think more full-time positions dedicated to it so um yeah they're gonna i think a handful of guys on the staff probably beginning with the head coach who are going to be drawing up new contracts at, at the end of this year, if not sooner, um, if they, they keep winning at this rate. And I think Courtney Morgan's going to go along with that. And Ryan Grubb's another guy. Like, he's a I, – I, I don't see him wanting to be a coordinator without Kalen DeBoer, but I know he wants to be a head coach. And I think he mentioned to me in an interview in – like March that he'd even had some, maybe some opportunities to do that at a lower level this last off season, but really wanted to prove that him and Kalen DeBoer's offensive system could, could thrive at, at this level, at the power five level, at the PAC 12 level. Um, and I think was, was in agreement with, with Kalen DeBoer that, that Washington was a, an ideal place to, to try to do that from. So if they have this awesome offensive season, you know, I don't think they're going to keep up the, the current clip they're at in terms of some of the yards per attempt and, and all that. But um, I could see him having an opportunity to, to maybe get a, a few more, you know, a few, some better head coaching looks than he had last year, at least. It's a good problem to have, especially one year into and, and how things have gone so far, three games into a tenure to be very encouraged about the direction uh, given how disorganized everything was a year ago. Yeah, it's what I mean. It's going to be one of two ways. Either other schools are always going to want to hire the assistant coaches, or or they're not. And I think any head coach would tell you which way they want it. Yeah, yeah. You you want to have the talent that you're having to 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 sort of retain guys, and if guys move on, that's not a bad thing either. Because we said that what players want in coaches is coaches that win. 
assistant coaches want a place that they're going to develop and not somebody who is going to going to hoard them or keep them from from advancing beyond and sometimes the best move that can be is you you have a guy move on and advance in his career because it becomes an advertisement of what what can go Pete Carroll's always had that approach with his coaching staffs and it worked a little bit better for him at USC but like that's you want young aspiring energetic coaches you want successful guys working on your staff and kind of going back to your point about Caitlin DeBoer sort of proving so far through his career like he's a he's a guy who who assistants want to work for he like he's a guy who I think some of his assistants have made sacrifices or like given up certain certain roles or certain duties that they enjoyed or left situations that they really really liked and really were happy with because they got a chance to to work for him so yeah I think he he engenders those sort of of relationships um I think if they were to lose you know, any assist in any position we shoot, everyone was thrilled that they were able to retain Junior Adams as their receivers coach. He left. There was a lot of drama around that and then um, went out and hired Jamarcus Shepard. Um, so I think his, has proven it at least in one instance. And, you know, if, if they have the kind of season where your offensive coordinator is getting head coaching looks, I would think that there'd be a lot of prospective OCs around the country looking at that, you know, potential vacancy and not to, not to nudge Ryan Grubb out the door already or anything, but I'm just saying, you know, there these are the things that, that people worry about. And um, I think if, if they put together that kind of season, uh, I don't, I don't think that they'd, they'd be lacking for, I think it'd be a little bit different than the John Donovan search. That's, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, I wondered, I've wondered if you just had a job fair and you had opened it up to everybody in Seattle who 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 wanted to call plays and they came in and talked to you if if you would find someone who was better at that job than John Donovan was over the past two years because I think there's I think there's a fairly good chance that if you had opened that up just not even Seattle City Limps but the Puget Sound you could have found a better person to do that job than John Donovan. We were each two and two in our Pac-12 picks last week. Um, I we're, we're entering our first week of conference play. We'll pick Washington Stanford at the end here. The first one I'm going to throw at you, Danny, off the cuff. Uh, Oregon visits Washington State in a game that suddenly seems like it has some pretty big implications. The Ducks are favored by seven going to Pullman. Yeah, and the Cougs have been really good against Oregon, certainly compared to Washington. The Cougs have been as successful as any Pac-12 program against Oregon over the past five, six years, would you say? Maybe it's a little longer than that, maybe the past ten years. They're generally really competitive with the Ducks. Yeah, they they played them really well um, under Mike Leach. I, even even when Oregon was really good and had a ton of talent, and I'd have to go back and look and see like how often Oregon was favored and by how much. But yeah, there was a run there of like three or four years where Wazoo, you know, Oregon and Stanford were really good, and like, Wazoo only lost to one of them once, and it was because Christian McCaffrey fumbled but it got overturned and changed the game and that was it was still a really tight result and I think there was like a three or four year period where they they almost went unbeaten against you know kind of the premier programs in the Pac-12 North so um, here's funny Wazoo Wazoo won four in a row uh 2015 through 2018 but that's sandwiched around they've lost the last three and they'd lost eight in a row going into that so they have a four-year window of success yes sandwich, you're, gonna, you're sandwich. gonna focus on that four-year window <laughs> that's correct that's correct go kooks 
I'm picking the Kooks. And if, 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 if Oregon wins, as it did last week, I'm going to be encouraged because that means we're another week closer to Bo Nix starting against the Washington Huskies. It doesn't matter if you pick them straight up, but are you picking them straight up? Yeah. Heck yeah, I want Oregon to lose. Yes, I'm picking them straight up. Go Kooks. I don't know that I would quite uh, put money on them straight up. I do think seven is a lot um, on the road for Oregon, especially considering how few points the Cougars have given up this year. And I think their defense it does appear to be their strength. So I I like Wazoo covering that as well. Um, another really big game involving a Pacific Northwest team this week. Uh, unbeaten USC visits unbeaten Oregon State at the mid-renovation research stadium. Uh, the Trojans are favored by six and a half. I'm I'm taking USC until someone proves me otherwise, but I'll be rooting like hell for the beefs. I'm tempted I'm tempted to say Oregon State covers this. They they wore the Trojans out last year at the Coliseum, man, but uh just like Washington, I think USC has proven pretty emphatically these first three weeks that it is a very different team, very different offense with Caleb Williams at the helm and um some of those receivers catching passes from him. So uh, I'm I'm like you. I'm I'm going to pick USC to cover every week until until somebody proves it that uh, they should be they should be the selection. I will say, I mean, you mentioned Stanford moved the ball on him, so I don't think Oregon State goes into this game thinking that it's you know going to have to to grind out a victory and won't be able to get anything done offensively. Uh, would not be surprised to see a tight result, but I I you know USC could win this game by a touchdown and cover. So I I, I think I'm taking the Trojans also. Um, I gotta pick. I gotta pick one other one. You know what? We got the fighting Herms. Are Herms? Are, are the Herms playing this week, or do they have the week off after Cannon Herm? I've got a. I've got a better one. UCLA visits Colorado. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Colorado as twenty-one and a half point favorites. Yeah. Was it? Was it Colorado? I was wondering if they'd win the Big Sky earlier this week, or was that somebody else? That was Arizona. Arizona, uh, the Jed Fishes. <laughs> Colorado Col- would not win the Big Sky. No, Colorado's awful. Um, I think Arizona has put miles between itself and Colorado. I don't know about that. Season. I don't know about that. I, I don't know, but mm-hmm. I, if you gave it to me straight up, but I, I would say that Colorado is less likely to win the Big Sky than Arizona, and and I, I, I think that I think that Colorado is the worst program right now, but it's not. They're in the same conversation. This isn't a. This isn't a. We're talking degrees, uh, not kind, when it comes to the difference there. Uh, UCLA is going to win that. UCLA, I, I'm not going to say UCLA is good, um, but but I think UCLA wins that. So you think that Colorado they cover is is roughly 18 points better than South Alabama? I I think Colorado Al- worse. Excuse me, worse than South Alabama. I think that if you don't watch where you're walking, you'll step in Colorado. <laughs> that, yeah, that's I, what I think. I like UCLA in the 21 and a half. Yeah, I Colorado's an abomination. Like they, it, it's it, it's horrendous. I I wish we could send them back to the Big Eight. Did you? I'd re- rather have Colorado State in the Pac-12 than Colorado. Well, they didn't they didn't look great in Pullman last week. <laughs> yeah, but Colorado, man, Colorado. You know, like there's there's something about like Colorado State. Like when they're bad, you're like, okay, they're doing the most with what they can. Like Colorado, we've seen that program existed a top 10 level we've seen them win a share of a national championship granted it took a win where they had five downs but still and they're they're awful they're just inexplicably bad 
and their coach shows no emotion. Like Dorsey is Dorsey is the least charismatic coach. Well, not the least because the least is Dom Capers. He's the second least charismatic coach I've ever seen behind Dom Capers. He's also uh, probably not going to be coaching a whole lot longer. No, no. Although although Herm beat him out the door, he did. He did. I just I I remember seeing that when it happened. I'm like, am I like Carl Durrell really? Like, I, I yeah. I don't there know that nothing... I could, I don't know that I could have yeah. told you where he was at at the time. Yeah, I don't know where he was. Where was he? I I don't remember. So I guess I do know. <laughs> I I do know if I could have told you, Danny, and I could not have. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I did not. I did not keep oh, tabs with the on Dol- Carl. He was with the Dorsey. Dolphins. He was. Uh, oh, good God! Assistant, really? Assistant head coach and receivers coach. Had been with the Jets for four years before that. Yeah, yeah. Assistant head coach always a weird title. Bruce Feldman, your colleague at the Athletic, has come out with his list of potential replacements at Nebraska. Yes, uh, Jake Dickert was on that list, wasn't he? Yeah, you know who wasn't on that list? Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer. You know who else was on that list, which I laughed my butt off at? Bill O'Brien, Alabama offensive coordinator. That's hilarious to me. Like, you want to talk about dudes that I don't understand how they get jobs? I don't understand how that guy's going to get another job. I really don't. And it's it's baffling to me. There's nothing. I mean, I I guess because he did a lot with Penn State after it was obliterated. But was he ever that good there? And he's a jerk. He's an absolute jerk. Yeah, he didn't um, he didn't quite endear himself on hard knocks the way that Dan Campbell has. No, he's he's an everybody. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I laughed about that when I saw that there. He must know how to work back channels or something. Matt Campbell, Iowa State head coach. If they could get Matt Campbell, but I don't think can Nebraska hire the Iowa State coach. Isn't that hilarious that I'm asking that question? Yeah, like all the perceived opportunities he's had. Why would why would Nebraska be the one he jumps for? <laughs> yeah, you know? it'd be weird. The other thing was the Lance Leopold. The, is am I saying it right? The Kansas head coach. Whenever you got a chance to hire a coach with a with Kansas on his resume, you got to jump at it, right? Hey, baby, they're three and zero. I would be very leery of hiring anyone from Kansas. Uh, I already gave away. I like I like Stanford covering the fourteen and Washington straight up this week. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to take Washington and say they'll cover, even though I don't think they will. I, refu- I refuse to undersell. Like this, in the same way I'm not going to pick against USC until they show me differently, that's going to be the same with Washington. And even then, I still might continue picking the dogs, no matter how many points they're giving up if they're laying lumber. Washington wins and covers. Yeah, I could be doing that thing where I'm just not, I'm not giving them enough credit um, and need, need to see a, a little bit more of a complete performance offense, offensively and defensively before I'm like, okay, they should roll most of the Pac-12. But... Um, it just yeah, Stanford Washington fourteen just feels like a a very big number. It is an awful lot. It did, is an awful lot. Did you write anything this week? Uh, I wrote something on Monday about the stupid game times and how everybody was complaining about the attendance last week. I kind of ranted and raved for a little while, uh, and then and then I written uh, about Pete Carroll and how the Seattle Seahawks are are just fine like one and one and if anybody like expected them to be better than this or their offense to be better they were using the wrong ruler this year because they should find a different way to measure it i think i agree with that it's they're going to be bad offensively and somebody's like they've only had like 21 of the uh, whatever it is 21 of the 31 games he's 
that Pete Carroll's coached the Seahawks in which they didn't have Russell Wilson as a starting quarterback. They failed to gain 300 yards of total offense, which is kind of a benchmark of basic respectability. I was like, that's true. Like, they've been bad when they haven't had a good quarterback. They've also gone almost 500 in those games. Like, they're, 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 the results aren't that despicable. Um, so I, I, I'm actually, I, I, I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to go 500 or a tick under and people should be generally, if that happens, they should be generally encouraged. There's room to be optimistic about it. I will, uh, I'll have a story tomorrow, um, touting the, uh, 11 and one start by the PAC 12 specific Northwest programs with a little bit of hell. Yeah. A little bit of hell. Yeah. A little bit of a callback to Rick Neuheisel's invented, uh, Northwest championship, which by the did you know the Northwest Championship has a Wikipedia entry? Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> it's like was, pretty... it Braxton, what, yeah. was it Braxton Clemens that was wearing that T-shirt underneath his jersey and they checked it off? I loved that. He, he was. I thought you were going to ask if it was Braxton Clemens who was the Wikipedia page uh, author. Maybe it was. <laughs> Maybe it's Rick Neuheisel. I'll have to go in and look. Um, Dude, for as corny as Neuheisel was... Like that was a great idea. <laughs> like it, it saved their season. Like they, they, they yeah. really. I he, mean, they were going to be awful, and they rallied around this made-up championship. It was great. He gets to say that it worked. He does get. Yes, to say he that. does. I, it'll be in the story, but I, I was reading. Uh, Ivan Mazel mentioned it in his column from from that week in 2002, and quoted Cody Pickett after the Apple Cup as saying, "Like, well, he, we needed something." <laughs> so <laughs> that's funny. Uh, Do you know where? Do you know where Cody Pickett grew up? Yeah. Uh, oh gosh. I'm going to actually ask for the street name. I I've read this before, but I'm not going to think of it. Chicken Dinner Lane. Chicken Dinner Lane. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he grew up on Chicken Dinner Lane. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's an amazing address. It's fantastic. Uh, All right, we'll wrap it here. Everyone enjoy the game, and uh, we will be back next week.